Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the City of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's Royal Visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. Yes, he's in the intensive care ward at Our Lady of the Worthless Miracle. You should have been pulled in the forefront. They have faith in you. You should have been pulled in the fifth, but they had faith in you. And you. You are now locked in to the latest edition of the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo, Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by rotofanatic.com. Go on over to rotofanatic and check out all of our latest articles, including closing remarks by Mike Carter, schedule factors from Crosby Spencer, and the infirmary report by Davey Funnel. All of it available every week at rotofanatic.com. It's episode 102. Today's show is a slight departure from our usual antics. However, that does not mean this is not one of the most important shows we have ever done. We have a guest today who knows a lot about the inner workings of Major League Baseball, all the way from single A to the show. Please welcome Dr. David A. Meyer. David has his own podcast, Injured to Elite, and has written a book as well. Check out David and follow him on Twitter or Instagram at Injured to Elite. Your hosts, Michael Govier and David, will talk about injuries. What do we need to know so we can make the best decisions regarding injuries with our fantasy baseball team? Do clubs take advantage of situations? Do players take advantage of situations for contract purposes? We'll cover individual players like Noah Syndergaard, Chris Sale, and a whole bunch more. You're going to love this episode. I guarantee it. Take it away, boys. You are now tuned in to the latest episode of the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Brought to you by rotafanatic.com. Top-notch stuff at rotafanatic.com. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an owner of the website. Although I am saying it because I am an owner of the website. There's great content there. We got some good articles coming out this week. Great articles over the weekend to get you prepped for the coming week every Saturday and Sunday. So check it out at rotofanatic.com. Today's show is a little different. No Deary again. He's still sleeping somewhere, I assume. But I've got a guest today, and this dude is going to help you guys a lot. I have a lot of confidence in that. We kind of connected. Actually, he reached out to me a few months ago, and it's been a long dalliance to get to this point, but we're finally here. I'll introduce him like this. After serving the St. Louis Cardinals as their medical and rehab coordinator, Dr. David Meyer has written Injured to Elite, a guide to empowering yourself to transform your life after injury to empower the world with a newfound mental approach to physical rehab. And as a sports performance-oriented physical therapist, he graduated with his doctorate in physical therapy from New York University, NYU. 
And after completing an advanced sports residency training program at the world-renowned Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, he has served as the medical and rehab coordinator for the Cardinals for three years from 2015 through the 17 season. He's written a book. He's got his own podcast to talk about. This guy is everywhere, and he's going to be our injury guru. He's going to officially be the Plato Podcast injury guru. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, let's give it up for Dr. David Meyer. David, how you doing? Ah, Michael, great to be here, man. That was the most phenomenal introduction this man right here has received thus far. So thank (laughs) you for that. Hey, no problem. I mean, you know, some of that was already written for me. So, but I want to make sure people (laughs) knew the legitimacy of you because you get online sometimes and people don't know somebody and they think, uh, hey, what's, who's this guy? What does he know about injuries? And this is something you know a lot about. So, you know, introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us about why you're here today and what you can bring to the table. So first and foremost, I'm a baseball lover, diehard. Um, grew up with a diehard sports fan father, my, fa- my father, Dean Meyer, who passed away in 2006 when the Mets were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the NLCS. And that was going to be my year. I mean, I played a ton of baseball that year. I was a senior and uh, undergrad in SUNY Albany, upstate New York. And I was, uh, I was playing club ball and some summer ball. And my father was there at every single game. And, you know, the, the Mets, Willie Randolph, oh, great organization that year. And um, ended up being the St. Louis Cardinals beat him in the, in the NLCS. And in game seven, there was the that was the Andy Chavez catch. Andy right? Chavez catch. Yeah. And Beltran goes down on a three pitch sequence with Wayno and Molina and Yachty. And uh, my father tells me he's in, the, he's sick now at this point. And, um, you know, he tells me the Mets are not going to be the same for a while. And he really was a baseball genius and a uh, big baseball fantasy baseball player. And wow. he passes away on Thanksgiving, 2006. I vow to my family, I'm going to do whatever I can to work in baseball. And, you know, I, I sure as heck, I'm not going to be able to play in the big leagues at five foot five. I played actually after this whole thing, after I graduated and, uh, you know, picked up the pieces. I actually went back to community college, played baseball uh, to get that under my belt because I was just playing club. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to play collegiate baseball. So anyway, I um, eventually get the job with the Cardinals nine years later after the Mets are losing to them. I never thought I'd play for that team. I threw my dorm room chair when Yachty and, and Wayno struck mm-hmm. out Beltran. I was so pissed. It was like that that curveball, right? That Wayno curveball. Um <laughs> Exactly. It, it was just, it, it was like at the time I'm thinking Beltran, like, how do you look at that? And then seeing Wayno throw that curveball when I was working for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You look at that because it's devastating. And that's how he's pitched as long as he has. But anyway, so yeah, working for the St. Louis Cardinals, my dream job. And uh, I became their medical and rehab coordinator, which essentially meant I, cause this is, I think something that a lot of fantasy baseball players wonder where their players are rehabbing and what the heck is going on. So I was based out of Jupiter, their spring training complex. Hmm. And I had the, 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 the fortunate, um, responsibility of the entire minor league medical. And then of course, when the big leaguers were completing their rehab stints, they would come down and see me and I would get instructions usually by the big league staff and, uh, hopefully didn't F it up. And, uh, <laughs> I know my first year I got Carlos Martinez in there and Lance Lynn and Jaime Garcia and 
I, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and my first year went pretty good besides, as I told it, uh, my boss, Gary LaRock, he said, we're going to expand your job duties. And I come down there and what that meant essentially was I was going to become the lunch attendant, the bus driver, the school principal, <laughs> the school nurse, you know, uh, the gym teacher, all the above. So I, it was a crazy year, but, uh, I got to see what it actually is like behind the scenes of getting ball players back on the field. Impressive. That's why you're here, my man. You have lived this experience. And so much about fantasy baseball really is how do I deal with injuries? How do I wait it out? Is a person worth picking up at a certain point and basing kind of on a timeline that they'll be back? So, you know, injuries in fantasy baseball, they're like popcorn and baseball or the seventh inning stretch. They're just going to be an intricate part of this game. They always have been and they always will be. So your knowledge here is going to be a big help today, David. It is. All right. Well, put me to work, baby. <laughs> well, we will do that. We got we got some people here, even on a Monday afternoon. T.O., what's up, T.O.? I haven't seen you before. I think you're new. And Jasper is a regular, by the way. Jasper says, hey, uh, usually I'm not at home at this time, early days. And what luck? I get two L's, two Z's. Can't beat that. Hey, Jasper, you asked for it. You know it. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Palazzo Podcast on Twitter. Two L's, two Z's. Utah, give me two. You ever seen Point Break, David? I, I'm sure you've seen Point Break. I've seen parts of it. Oh, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, oh, it is uh, 31 years old, so. <laughs> but Gary Busey, you can't beat Busey in that Gary movie. Busey, Hilarious. okay. Yeah, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk injuries. That's it. That's what the show's about. Uh, no segmented, unique stuff. We're just doing a, a shot for shot back and forth here. All of our regulars are here. Brian K. Rodgman, giddy up, baby. I love it. I love it. All right. So first things first. Did 21... 2021 get impacted by 2020. I assume it probably did. And if so, what is the extent of the damage here in terms of how injuries have been impacted from the short bozo season of 2020? You know, I think it affected players differently based on their level of experience. So let's first start with the 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 40 man roster players that are trying to get up to that next level or got the cup of coffee. Think about that for a second, right? So if things were just moving smoothly for you, it was your year, and then all of a sudden COVID happens, that is a very, very big monkey wrench thrown into your program because now so many things can influence your opportunity and your development. And, and early in your career, you need those reps, right? So I think those players in particular, just from the stress of getting finally up there or just to the AAA level, I think they got it really difficult opportunities were kind of shifted around. So I think that the play, the emerging players were affected the greatest. The veteran players, I think, probably were elated to have an opportunity to, to scale back a little bit, spend some time with the kids and the family and breathe. You never get that as a pro ball player besides, you know, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. So yeah. I think for the veteran players... I think it was actually a really good opportunity for them. But for the the emerging players, that that's a real tough monkey wrench to get into your in, in the way there. And you know, even the the rookies in the first few years of playing, like that really can kind of disrupt everything. And um so yeah, I think I think it's created quite a uh, an interesting dilemma with how the minor leagues are reshaping and how th- just even the medical programs are reshaping based on them 
having to take a lot of the responsibility through COVID of how the players are rehabbing. Something that a lot of people probably don't realize, the the rehab groups are are, are affected down in, in the spring training facilities when they can come in because they have to stagger. They still have to abide by the, the different policies they have in place there, which affects their, the level of care they're getting and just the overall programming. So it, it's affected things on, on so many levels um, from a performance and a rehab standpoint that it's, uh, it's definitely not fair to say it affected one group, maybe, you know, definitely differently affected everybody. But um, I, I think the veterans, probably had a nice breath, but the, the young ones, that's, that's tough. Oh, interesting. So in a sense, it's kind of like football where, you know, the veterans hate training camp. They want to skip it all. They just want to play the regular season. Right. So the rookies are the ones with the minor league players in baseball would be the ones who really miss out the most on that extra time. I think, I think it really creates a, a little bit of a, a monkey wrench in your program, your development and preparing for what you need to do that year. When you've already proven yourself, you can kind of, you can kind of roll, right? You don't have to worry so much about uh, that one specific season, especially when you have a contract. I mean, pretty much we could even say any player without a contract, right? That has, mm-hmm. that is not an RB eligible player has been greatly affected probably more so than, than the contract, the contracted players. I don't know how much you know about this, but I'm just curious. And if you don't, you know, it's not exactly about injuries, but the fact that there was no minor league season last year and we had this alternate site situation, sure. we never really knew what happened there. Do you think, I think it's obvious that there has to be a reduction in growth and meeting certain potential milestone markers in order to get to the big leagues or even jump up to the next level of the minors from single to double or wherever the player may be. But uh, what do you think of that situation without any minor leagues completely in 2020? Because I talked to some prospect gurus who said, you know, you're going to be surprised because they were doing at certain alternate sites. People were rocking and rolling and they felt like there was going to be a a rash of call ups, which has not really been the case, in my opinion, this year so far. There's been call ups, but not like a rash of surprising single A call ups or anything like that to an extreme where you say, whoa, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, I don't know across the league, but I can tell you from the players that I know very, uh, very intimately with what they were going through, the every the tensions were heightened. I mean, you had the cream of the crop, forty men players, and and the players that were the taxi cab uh, squad players. I mean, everybody was just trying to figure out, you know, what the heck was going on. I mean, it, it definitely wasn't a crazy development year. I don't think for any organization. And even if they had some different training camp style things going on and they always do have those things, you're not recreating a season. I mean, there's so much that goes into going up to, you know, the different levels and everything and seeing the different levels of pitching and how you utilize that for certain situations with players. I mean, special project players that go to a certain stadium just to whatever they're working on, that was all gone. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that was one of the benefits that I, that I, I think it was a tough situation for a lot of those players being in those, in those tight situations with a few players down there that created more co- competitiveness. And uh, I think it burnt a lot of players out more than anything. We're talking live with Dr. David Meyer here, former rehab and medical coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals organization. And he's got his own book. Dave, tell people about the book real quick. 
Yeah, the book Injured to Elite, essentially a guide to empowering yourself to transform your life after injury. Hey, we're all going to get hurt at some point in our lives. And I thought it was silly that we didn't have a comprehensive guide to walk people through the mental side to injury. What do you do when you're hurt? Well, we know you go see the orthopedist or the the, the physical therapist, but what do you do on your own and how can you get more out of those processes? So the book is broken down into three sections, the mental side, the physical side, and the uh, beyond that, finding purpose in your life and uh, putting it together, not just for baseball, but of course, with my experience, I talk a lot about what I saw working for the Cardinals and uh, integrated that into the process. Booyah! Three cheers for David on that seat. This is one thing I don't think I did a good job of, even though you enjoyed my intro. Mental health side of this is very important to your entire plan. And that's one of the things we kind of connected on is you wanted to talk about that. So we want to incorporate that as well, because that's a big part of we've tried to talk about that in this show when we can. We used to do a segment called The Mound Visit, where we just focused exclusively on a certain mental health side of things that was going on during the season or from maybe the COVID situation, which I know which I think we have a confidence that it screwed with people. We threw mm. people out of whack, and we know that. Oh, but, yeah. You know, we, we're getting a lot of comments here. Uh, Jasper says, a lot of groin poles, oblique, and shoulder soreness this season. What do you think of that, David? Look, let, let's let's start. That A lot of those are usually um, early in the season things that we see sometimes. So, like, something we saw a lot of in the minor league system especially when players were getting those types of injuries, let's say uh, between March and June, a lot of times the thinking was they weren't prepared for the workload. They didn't do their homework in the off season. Um, so you tended to see like a lot of hamstring pulls, right? The first month of the season. And you're thinking, oh, well, he did nothing at home. So I think conventional wisdom would lead us to thinking that they were ill-prepared. They weren't training enough in the off season. Um, and then later in the season, a lot of times we would be seeing the ligament tears and the, uh, the, you know, some of the more traumatic injuries and then the, the, you know, poor recovery related injuries, the, the insidious, you know, building up shoulder inflammation things coming in August, things like that. Um, but I, I think more than anything else, we have to think about the player's cycle over the last 12 to 18 months, the start stop last year, that mentally takes a big toll on that player because they are unable to figure out how much intensity, a big thing for baseball, right? I don't think people give this enough respect. When a, when a hitter is going, I was listening to uh, Chase Darno talk about this on his YouTube channel, actually, hmm. how much intensity they put into their practice swings when they're going in their first round compared to their third or fourth round. And we don't realize how much actually goes into their thinking there. So imagine start, stop, start, stop in 2020, how that affected their ability to figure out their flow for the year. So now coming out of that, they had a whole gap of a year of kind of like being disconnected from how to push themselves. And now they're refining that boundary. So maybe some players are swinging a little harder than they ought, they would have in the past. Are certain players taking more reps to get up to speed? You know, like how much of that is going on and leading to maybe some of these obliques, right? Like an oblique, we think of asymmetry. We think of, um, you know, definitely overtraining some players that can't get out of the cage. Um, 
you know. So they're too much exertion? You, you, Constantly, like just pushing it too hard? Just, I mean, you have any idea how some of these players take hundreds upon hundreds of swings in the cage every day. And if that's a little bit, you know, too high of an intensity, I mean, and you're going one direction and you're not training the other side, anything like that. I mean, oblique, that's why oblique strains could be such a problem in baseball. I mean, some players just are upset. Like Matt Carpenter is a player that, uh, you know, he's somebody that I know spent a lot of time watching video, you know, inordinate amounts of time. Now I can't, I'm just talking because his word on the street, but like certain players that, can't get out of the cage, right? I mean, that that takes a toll on you. So I think a, a lot of things we don't see on the screen or in the injury reports, we don't realize a lot of those things are going into it. Now, maybe the reason the player is doing that is because, you know, he's not getting the right spin on the ball. Maybe, uh, you know, he, he's not able to dir- directional hit as much as he was a few years ago. And he, you know, maybe he's working on that. Maybe he lost a little bit of his feel. It's like, if you don't have a golf club in your hand after a year or two and you go out there trying to hit the ball it's tough and it's tough. Objects in motion stay in motion. So I think, listen, I, I, I really don't like taking data points from one year and then saying, Hey, Oh, what's going on? It's coming from last year. I mean, we had the older, more traditional staff members when I worked for the Cardinals, they would say, Oh, we saw five or six hamstrings happen this, this week or this month. And be like, Oh, well, it's the way it's the training program. The problem is with data you can't make these huge, huge uh, correlations by just you know one month or even one season. You have to look at data at large. So I think it's it's important also to uh, sure. Why to is that though? Why is what? Why? So you are you saying uh, we couldn't? You wouldn't compare 2019 to right now to this point of the season right now? No, is no, that no. Too what short. I, what I'm saying is when we look at causation of injuries, things of that nature. Yes. You have to look at large sample sizes and a lot of data over time. You can't. Yeah. So I'm talking about a a data sampling issue. And a lot of times we want answers like the Yankees take them uh, last year. They had a huge rash of injuries, right? And easily you could like every year. (laughs) Yeah. This year they're going through it again, right? You could easily blame that on their medical staff. Well, they have Eric Cressy in there. Eric Cressy is you know, one of the top strength and conditioning coaches in, in baseball, physical therapists learned from Eric. I've learned from Eric. I, you know, Eric and I have worked together. You, you quickly want to blame the trainer, the, the, the rehab coordinator. And you, you can't do that in, in one season or even one month right now, you, you might as well chalk it up to chance. So, you know, it's really tough especially as a fantasy baseball uh, player owner where you want answers, you want to figure out, well, what team should I avoid players on? Or, you know, what players should I avoid? It's really tough as medical practitioners. We oftentimes, you know, are are just taking our hypothesis and running with it. So Mm -hmm. you want to look at patterns. You want to look at trends. That's what's, you know, you want to look at the numbers over time when you're taking a risk on a sleeper or a player that had a breakout year that is now injured. And you're wondering, do I stick it out? Do I not? You know, there's a certain percentage of your team that you're going to take that risk with, but you have to, especially in this sport, you have to build it off of patterns. You know, if I look at a player like Syndergaard, let's take him. Okay. Tommy John. And now elbow inflammation right? We're going to take how hard he threw. We're going to take, we're going to start to group these things together and say, okay, 
obviously my risk, the, the risk of this player is a little bit higher than the other player that just has elbow inflammation, throws 97 to 95, 97, and maybe his rehab is going a little more steady. You got to listen to those things, but we get excited and emotional about the Ferrari. You know, we're looking at his, at his uh, repertoire and, uh, you know, what he's been able to do. And I don't think that's uh, that's good decision. I don't think that's a good decision. I think you need to pay attention to patterns um, and, you know, respect the patterns, but also in terms of like, you know, outside of the, you know, player, individual player standpoint, you have to be careful with making assumptions that because we're seeing obliques or whatever, that that can be attributed to anything, you know, overtly. It's a lot more complex than that. I promise you, we're always looking for those answers, collecting data, a lot of times fishing for data. And uh, we find things, but over time we have to test it. We have to see if it plays out. And if it doesn't play out, then it could have been an anomaly. Wow. Well, this is very interesting stuff. We're talking live with Dr. David Meyer. Uh, David, do you have a Twitter account or no? Uh, I do. Injured to Elite. Yep. Injured oh, to Elite. Yes, injured to Elite. I should have assumed that. You know, a lot of people... <laughs> very creative. I I find a lot of the fantasy baseball community prefers to interact on Twitter more than any other site. At least that's been my experience. So it's always good to yeah, have that. There it is. I found you. Look at this. Follow right now. Number 99. One away from 100, folks. Let's get him to 100. Come on. <laughs> Let's blow 100 in the dust. It's been tough. You guys got me. It's been, it's been tough to, to get the Twitter going. But yeah, baseball oh, players, everybody's been on there. I hear you. I... It's a, it kind of is, I can't believe I have um, 1,800 followers. I thought that was the most impossible thing that would ever happen. But see, that's you know, where you I'm at on Instagram. Grinding. That's my Instagram. Oh. That's right. Yeah, yeah, see, Instagram. I don't use Instagram as much. It's, it's cool. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not photogenic. I'm not sure what it is. But I'll tell you something. The players loved Twitter when they were injured in, uh, in Jupiter. Spent a lot of time on that. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. The ball players were big on Twitter. I remember that. But, uh, you know, there verifies the truth that we always probably know players yeah. do pay attention to what's going on outside. Oh, 100%. We got a question here, Dave. This is from Ryan. Ryan's a regular. Yeah. Ryan always has great jokes about my partner, Deary, and back massages. It's a long story, so just forget about it. Uh, Dave, in your experience, how much does a player playing through one injury lead to other injuries? I got to figure this one is pretty high. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest predictor of future injury is previous injury. So we've always cited that in our research and our articles. So yeah, I hate to be the bearer of this news, but uh, injury-prone players, yeah, you know, you, you want to avoid them. The player that's always getting hurt. But you also want to like think about the types of injuries, right? So the, the bony related injuries that kind of heal with time and immobilization, um, not as concerned always about those, the, the joint related stuff, right? Whenever we're, it's affecting the elbow inflammation or shoulder inflammation, be concerned about that. You want to follow that closely because a lot of times for all of you out there to know, we're very creative with how we talk about what the diagnosis is. So it can very much be a that the UCL, the Tommy John ligament, can very much be inflamed when we're we're saying oh just elbow inflammation. So we're, we're very careful with how we would we used to diagnose things, and you should be aware of that. Zach Gallen is somebody I think of right away. Zach Gallen had the crack or you know, a possible tiny tiny fracture in his forearm, in his pitching arm. 
and he started the year in the IL. But he came back way, way quicker than anybody thought, which was supposed to be mid-May because he was supposed to be out six to eight weeks. But he came back much quicker than that. But then he left again because now he had a small tear in his UCL. So I have to think that you know, what Ryan's talking about here is what happened. He's got this issue here, and somehow we overcompensated, and it led to this UCL tear. I, the, I know you don't have the information in front of you for certain. You're not his doctor, but yeah. well, actually, I actually great. know. I know Zach. I Zach was. You know, oh he, shit! He was with the Cardinals, so I, I Zach was a really you know very very good. Shout, shout out to Zach. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Zach, and my ears almost popping out of that. Oh yeah, that you got to watch out for the shout button, man. That one comes in hot all the time. Hey yo. Now we're good. Now we're good. Um, yeah, no, Zach is a great kid, a uh, great ball player, but um, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to talk specifically about his injuries, but I will say, um, you know, the whole, what's the whole thing, the hip bones connected to the thigh bone, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the way I think the, the basic fundamental understanding would be, but sure. I mean, something we would see a lot is an ankle sprain in a pitcher. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, the elbow is barking and then Tommy John, right? Yes, we would see that. Now, is that every situation? No, it's, it, it, but any injury is always, you know, in fantasy sports, especially, right? Like we know they're going to happen, but, uh, you pretty much assume any injury is very significant when you're playing fantasy sports. You never play with fire and say, yeah, he's going to get through this. Chances are, you know, forces will be against you rather than with you because the team on top of all that usually slows players down. Yes. Slows yeah, players but, down, not speed them up. People think the opposite. But what about what happened with Fernando Tatis Jr.? He fell down on home plate early in the season. He looked like he was dead. He looked like he was in terrible pain, and people were abandoning ship left and right. It's over. This guy's a top three fantasy player in all of baseball, one of the best players in baseball, period. One of the most exciting players around. But it was fair to say, dude, he's toast. But then he's back a couple weeks later, and he's been dominating baseball. That would have been a red flag to bail with that injury, as as you were saying here. I'm not. So, I'm just questioning. There's always yeah, it's a good question. Exceptions. So go ahead. Respond. You have to listen. You have to judge. You you got to look at the entire situation. So if you have a player like Fernando Tatis Jr., you're looking at the upside of this player, and you're saying to yourself, okay, yeah, I'm I'm putting him on the the IL, and I'm you know going to keep him on that. And, and that I'm not going to trade him right away, but what I'm saying is you pretty much, you make that decision quickly. All right. This is a player that I have a long-term interest in. If you're a keeper league, right. Mm-hmm. Then you say to yourself, okay, putting him on the IL, I'm going to try and figure out how to replace that. And that's it. That's how the team operates. But if you're playing with fire in the mid tier players of trying to figure it out, how do you figure it out? You're not playing with a whole deck of cards. You don't have an injury report. You, you, all you have is is what the journalists are saying. And just so you all know, what the journalists are getting is pretty much whatever the team wants them to hear. And they're thinking about that and they're talking about that. They're not giving you, uh, you know, the information that that you really need. So you have to, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, you should be careful. Of course, it's a certain player like that. Yeah, you, you know, don't be silly. Don't Don't assume the player's done forever, especially if you're in a keeper league. But what I am saying is, if you if you have a player that has shoulder inflammation pop up, I would be like, oh, that's that's not a good start. That's probably not, that could be very bad. So I'm not going to bank that this player is going to be around for this season. That's how the team operates. Again, when, the, when my boss would see that come up on the injury report, 
He's thinking to himself, okay, can't count on him. So you got to remove the emotion because this is a passion. You know, fantasy sports is a passion thing for people, right? But you can't get emotional about one player. You can't fall in love with that player. You know, and I think especially with injuries, like I was a huge Jose Reyes fan, huge Jose Reyes. Oh I would have given anybody on my team for Jose, right? Or, and, but the truth is like, you know, you start, you start making those decisions based off of just your, you know, you, you enjoy watching the player play. For me, I thought Jose, like I see it now a little bit, um, but you know, it's tough to find a player that has that much energy. I'm blanking on his name right now. Geez, the shortstop for the Mets currently. Um, who are we talking about? Oh, uh, both geez. of us are blanking. Yeah. They're all Some, injured. So I can't yeah. keep track anymore. You know, Jonathan anyway, VR. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, man, they just got him in the, the off season. But anyway, um, Oh yeah. Lindor. God, Lindor, you know, Francisco moron. Lindor. So <laughs> I enjoyed watching a player like Reyes. You know, he had that energy. Like Lindor has got a, a good amount of that energy too, but that, that intangible, although important in the sport, you know, like we, we have to tune that out, especially again, when the player that you love is hurt, just pretty much be, if you love them that much, put them, put them to the side, but otherwise like it's uh yeah, it's a black cloud on that player. I hate, I hate to, in the fantasy sports world, I'm going to sound like this. And if I'm talking to, you know, youth athletes, totally different conversation, but you know, injuries are tough to manage in baseball. Yeah. Throwing, throwing is not healthy on the arm. It's, it's actually, you know, terrible for it. You know, I, I, I go ahead. Uh, I'm not asking you to reveal anything. I know you have a relationship with Zach and I respect that. So I'll keep that privacy sure. to you too, but he did, he's taking a unique route, the unusual route, right? It's fair to say he's not getting surgery because the tear is believed to be small enough that he thinks he can rehab it and return. And I, we've seen uh, Tanaka of the Yankees did this. Oh. I don't know how big his, I can't remember how big his tear was, but he rehabbed a lot of, a lot of players. Oh yeah. So first and foremost, disclaimer, Zach and I, uh, when I was with the Cardinals, I met Zach. I, w- I worked with him a little bit just because he was with the Cardinals, not from any other reason than that. Um, I do not, uh, I have nothing to do with Zach's care, um, in any way, shape or form. And I know I have no knowledge actually of, of anything that's going on. So I, and I'm not going to comment about his specific case, but I'll tell you this in terms of what we call conservative management of a, uh, of a UCL injury or a sprain, Remember, a sprain by definition is some level of tearing. So we have different grades of a, a sprain. Or I've a tear. had one. I'm there in the go. club. <laughs> exactly. So you know. So basically, with a, a low grade tear of a ligament, um, it's always an option to avoid surgery. Now, how much propensity for that ligament to heal does it have? Not the best. But here's the truth: most players, when we image their elbows and their shoulders, they show le- some level of, of, of change of changes compared to a healthy non-baseball, uh, playing player uh, or person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, especially the shoulder more than the elbow, every pitcher's shoulder just about has something we can find. I would say anywhere from 40 to 70% of MRIs of, of pitcher's shoulders will show actually structure, excuse me, structural changes. Wow. When it comes to the elbow, sometimes we'll find increased signal on the MRI. So what that means is we'll see part of that ligament light up, um, which can show us maybe the ligament is inflamed or even some of the 
we, we do a contrast-based MRI or an arthrogram where we inject dye into the arm to, to, right. to be able to visualize the structures. Maybe you'll see on the report that he underwent an arthrogram um, or uh, an MRI with contrast. Maybe they'll put it as that. Basically, we might see some the fluid extravasate or move around the elbow, and we're not sure exactly what's going on. So there are players, R.A. Dickey, right? The knuckleballer. Classic. Cy Young okay. winner. Yeah. So now the story with R.A. was he was a power pitcher before that. He actually, or not power pitcher maybe, but he threw harder. And um, after the elbow injury, he, he changed things around. Never had surgery to my knowledge. I don't think he ever had it re reconstructed. But the... Listen, players that try conservative management, um, pitchers, uh, a lot of times it, it can be a difficult process. Position players, they're able to conservatively manage a, a UCL injury a little differently because their load is different. Like take, for, for instance, a first baseman, for sure, they can try a conservative route, Um you know, outfielders like take Matt Holiday, uh, no, you know, another player I worked with, but nothing to do with how we work together. Um, he had Tommy John, I believe, earlier in his career. So it, it certainly affects, you know, anybody on the field. But when you take a pitcher and you you tr try conservative therapy, it, it could be, it has its drawbacks, but um, avoiding surgery is always uh, in and of itself. Uh, I mean, you don't want to have surgery. You're going in there cutting more tissue by the way, like it's, it's not, it's not what we think like rookie of the year. Uh, you have your, <laughs> you know, you put the graft in there. I mean, people should probably even just know what Tommy John really is to be honest with you, but, uh, it's not that. <laughs> so it's not that, which means I think, I hope people would know what it means. It is surgery. Yes. So it involves, uh, a removal. Well, partial, me, partial cutting or what is they reconnect? Well, let me, let me, let me tell people. I mean, yeah. So when somebody's getting Tommy John, what they're, so of course, Tommy John, first player, got it back in what was the seventies, Frank Job, the, uh, Curlin Job. It was his birthday last week, I think, by the way. Was it so, Tommy John? Yeah. Recently. Um, so Frank Job did the first procedure on Tommy John, basically in a nutshell, what they're doing is, so your your UCL is the ligament, the Tommy John ligament that connects your the two bones in your elbow, your ulna and your humerus. And it's the inner part of the elbow. So people live can see it. It runs this course right here. And that's a, a lot of times where they'll feel pain. The pitcher will feel pain in this the medial part of their elbow. And essentially, once that ligament is not competent anymore, so it's preventing stress we call valgus stress so the arm moving out so when you're in a maximal external rotation position here you're putting a lot of stress on that ligament so every single pitcher in the studies exceeds the 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 forces that ligament theoretically should be able to constrain almost every pitch so you're putting a tremendous amount of load on that ligament so it's only a matter of time for some changes to happen to that ligament right so when that ligament is torn and they they want to reconstruct it not repair it that happens sometimes. I actually, well, I I don't I won't share the player's name, but he was the well actually now he he doesn't play anymore. Mitch Harris was the first one to have his UCL repaired. Big uh, big league player that I actually was the one who rehabbed him. Me and uh, and um, I can't think of uh, my colleague's name right now, but uh, the surgeon. But we we attempted that, and it, it was uh, it was a learning experience for all of us. But um, Doctor Paletta, sorry, George Paletta. 
uh, now the Cardinals are still the head uh, team physician. But anyway, hmm. so when that ligament is torn, they're taking a graft, essentially maybe from the hamstring or the palmaris longus tendon, which is in the forearm there. They take that and they kind of double it up and they're drilling some holes into those two bones I told you about, the humerus and the ulna. And then they're essentially tying it through. They're anchoring it through and uh, they're putting a splint for a little bit and then in a brace and as the bone heals. So essentially that hole they drilled in the bone is healing to where that tendon was that they took. It's getting stronger. It's called ligamentization. And then over time, as we work on the shoulder muscles and the core muscles and the forearm muscles, and we start having them go into a weight training routine and eventually a loading routine with a ball and plyometrics and a thro an interval throwing program and a bullpen progression, eventually simulated games as all the tissue continues to improve its ability to tolerate that load. So as you could imagine, uh, even though we have it down to a science, the amount of variables that go into this in that training room, in that rehab facility is immense. And that's why you see a player like Syndergaard getting elbow inflammation out. It's like, what the heck? Well, the guy throws really hard, you know, is, is his procedure able to handle the load? Well, maybe his throwing program needed to be individualized differently than the others. And, and you know, so it's a very dynamic process. We don't want that, right? As the fantasy baseball owner, we want to know six months, 12 months, it doesn't happen. All you could be is wrong. Too early, too late. Oh, you're right about that. I got three responses to everything you just said. First off, I was late on this button. Funky butt loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh. <laughs> rookie of, rookie the of the year. He mentioned rookie of the year, guys. I got to bring that up. I don't get a chance to hit that one very often. Secondly, Ari Dickey was born without a UCL joint. Correct. Which is crazy. Correct. Uh, and you could, pitch without, you could pitch without one. He proved that. You can. You have muscles that also... So the reason why the flexor pronator tends to uh, see damage after is because it's a secondary stabilizer of the elbow. So a lot of times you'll see the flexor... Another thing, everyone, listen out. If it's just a, a basic Tommy John procedure, okay, listen out. Are there bone chips? Is there a flexor pronator involved? Let me tell you something. They're difficult. Those that... that it's not it's not as cut and dry so you want to you want to you want to look for those details mm. especially like the written articles a lot of times you'll see read the report that comes out a week or two after they get the mri you know really look into the words they're using oh they they used two latin phrases that that's more than one <laughs> <laughs> so if you see pronator that's a bad sign what I'm saying is the the outcomes are affected the more work that's performed. So okay. the simple UCL reconstruction, Tommy John's basic, those outcomes are a little bit better than when we start throwing in ulnar nerves and flexor pronators and bone chips. And, uh, you know, the more we're throwing in there, the more difficult it could, it could really get. Now, the simple scope, oh, he's got a bone chip, we got to remove it. You know, in the older ball player that's been around the block, like chances are, He's going to go back out there, get the the same chance he had, and he's going to throw his breaking balls, and it'll be fine without throwing 98. Uh, in the younger players, you should still be weary of players that are having elbows scoped their first you know, few years Ooh. out. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess this question right here from Brian would kind of relate to that. Dave, can a pitcher be successful after a second Tommy John? Thanks. And you just said the more procedures, the worse off yeah. the possible return. It's it's tough. It's tough. Um, I've had them. I've 
Maybe I've had a few players that had more than two. I maybe, but I'm trying to think of the big leaders that have had revisions. There's quite a few, right? We we've definitely seen, we call it a revision. So when the player has the initial reconstruction and then goes in and sees Dr. Elitrash out in uh, Los Angeles for the, the second one, usually the second opinion, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm trying to think who, who are some of the recent big leaguers that have had second follow-up surgeries. I, um, uh, did, uh, it, did Wayne Wright have two or is that not accurate? Wayne. Oh, I, I, I only knew about his initial Tommy John. He might've had a scope. He might've had a second scope. That's actually pretty common, but two UCL reconstructions, one after, you know, another Zach Wheeler, maybe I, I could be wrong on this. I feel like Wheeler had a couple bit. I know he struggled and struggled with injuries early yeah. in his career and now he's pitching amazing. So I, yeah. I don't want to assume that I'd have to look up the details on that. It's I, I'm going to, they can be successful, but, uh, for a team to wait around that long, you have to imagine, right? If they're ARB eligible at this point, they've already been successful in the big leagues if they're getting that other chance. So there's somebody that's really good. They, they have skill. So in that situation, you're going to see a few of the players you mentioned that maybe, you know, especially if it wasn't a second Tommy John procedure and it was just like a scope. But the young players, the minor leaguers, the emerging player to Tommy Johns, it's a very difficult road for them very difficult road. And, and honestly, those are some of the players that you got to tip your hat to that. It's an insane process to go through one, let alone multiple. So that's a tough, it's possible, but it's hmm. the veterans are the ones that, that, that have the best, you know, the best there's one Jamison tie on of the Yankees. He's had two, according to Ryan. I did not and know I think that. that. I think that is correct. Yeah. Cause he was out forever. He also had cancer. So, I mean, it was a brutal, brutal ride. I'm going to have to verify all this stuff. And if you're hearing the show on the podcast, then remember, it's the Hey, It's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're live with Dr. David A. Meyer here, former rehab and medical coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals. We're talking about injuries with learning, growing, being patient, and trying to understand just a little bit more so your fantasy teams can be helped. But you can also have a better understanding as baseball fans. A lot of us are not just fantasy baseball nuts. We love baseball, too. And that's where it all started before we ever played fantasy baseball. And this is a great Ryan's, question. Oh, this yeah. Ryan says, when you hear of an ACL tear, you always worry about nerve damage causing things like drop foot. Is there anything similar like that in the elbow and UCL area? Thank you. So a little education here. So in terms of the nerve damage we see in knee injuries, usually it's a, a multi-ligament knee injury. So usually not an isolated ACL. So it could be an ACL, MCL, meniscus. A multi-ligament knee injury, especially if there was a dislocation, there is there is a good risk of peroneal nerve damage, which causes that foot drop you mentioned. In a, in a standard ACL tear, foot drop is pretty uncommon. But in a, in a very traumatic injury, it, it can happen. I've rehabbed uh, athlete, football players with foot drop, a tough one. In the elbow, the nerve that we're super, super sensitive about is the ulnar nerve. We're hyper aware of its placement there. The Tommy John procedure, we call it a UCL reconstruction. In this Tommy John procedure, they're very careful with how they move the nerve out of the way. And actually, the ulnar nerve is interesting because sometimes athletes can be getting ulnar nerve symptoms down their forearm, down their arm, the tingling um, into the hand, that kind of thing, um, before they tear their UCL. Because what happens is the ligament can stretch out, the UCL stretches out, but the ligament might still be 
you know, um, intact. And then what happens is the nerve, because now the elbow's looser, the nerve is kind of stretching out every time you throw. Um, in terms of wrist drop occurring in ball players, I would have to go through my research. I have never heard about a documented case of full out wrist drop. I'm sure it's occurred. Um, in terms of the Tommy John procedure, they, they're weary of damage usually to the nerve during the actual surgery. So they, they're very careful of, of uh, moving it out of the way or actually what they call transposing the nerve, where they actually take that nerve and tie it into another bit of uh, fascia in the forearm. Dr. Andrews is really notorious for doing that. Um, and so he'll do it prophylactically a lot of times. He'll just move the nerve. But uh, in terms of the foot drop thing, like in the wrist, like we call that wrist drop, it's it's fairly, it's pretty uncommon to have ulnar nerve damage, common. As a matter of fact, some studies show that the majority of baseball players have ulnar nerve issues and totally healthy players. Yeah. So first off, shout out. You were right about Jameson Tyone, my friend, Ryan. He definitely had two TJ surgeries. I've got the list here now, and I just wanted to make sure we got it right. Uh, there are a list of people who had three even. Johnny Venters, former relief pitcher. What year like was he, that? He had 2005, 2013, 2014. Good wow. God. I wonder what his, I'd love to see, um, you know, innings pitched after that. Yeah, I, I I remember, I believe Johnny Venters was a reliever for either okay. the Rays or the Braves. And Something to consider. One of the things, in, when they came to me, when I knew they were a reliever, Right away, especially if they were a big leaguer, that took stress off my back right away. It's a lot really? less. Oh, yeah. It's a lot quicker of a return. I mean, it's less, you know, um, less, less, uh, any less pitches you have to build them up towards. So, you know, okay. I could, I could buy that for a relief pitcher or a starting pitcher, three TJs. I mean, again, there might be one or two, but that is a, there's a few. I know there's a few. That, that's 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 a tough go at it. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's on Twitter. Utah. Or Give Facebook. Or Instagram. I never use Instagram, but these things exist. We're mainly on Twitter most of the time. I'm at MJ Govier. G-O-V is in Victor I-E-R on Twitter. And you can follow Dr. Dave at Injured to Elite. I got that right, didn't I? At you Injured got it. to Elite. You got it. Look at me. Hey, my, check this out. This is Luke Horlbeck. Now, Luke is on my softball team. He hit two bombs yesterday over the fence. Crushed it. Go, Luke. And like he Luke was. Boyd, huh? I've known Luke for 25 years. We grew up together in high school and everything. He was the former record holder in his junior year of the league home run record where we played high school ball. So, Luke, well done. And we played against Drew Henson. Do you remember who Drew Henson was? I do not. Way back in the day, he was a Yankee signing, actually. He was a football player who played at the University of Michigan. He played at the town right next door to us. He was a rare guy who was a starting quarterback in Michigan in, like, the year 2000. And he was signed with the Yankees, but he could never hit a damn curveball ever. So that's why he failed out. Only, yeah, only you know, fastball hitter. There's a few football baseball, like Matt Holiday. He was a high school football hero and uh, made it oh, to Oh, yeah, the, these guys are athletes, Yeah, right? there, so. there's a few. There's a few. Kenny Lofton was a basketball player. Anybody's good became a borderline Hall of Fame baseball player now. So these guys know what they're doing. But Luke has this question about TJ surgeries. Uh, considered inevitable, the bigger and stronger pitchers get. Is that true? You know, the bigger so, they are, the stronger they are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Luke hit it on the head. What the research shows is that the pitchers that throw hard, we used to think it was 
to what you were just saying, the pitchers that threw more breaking balls, things of that nature. And we found in the research that it was not, it was actually velocity dependent. So the players that were in those upper nineties and beyond were at higher risk. So he's right. Um, it, it is the total load on that arm. Um, and then the second part was what's the rate across different, uh, pitcher makeups. Um, well, I, I don't know the exact percentages or the epidemiology there, but I, I do know the research is pretty conclusive. The harder throwing players are the ones that are, that are tearing it most often the UCL. Well, I got to tell you, David, people are learning here. Jasper says learning quite a bit here today. Very yeah, informative. I'm, Thanks. I'm, I'm very curious, like in, in a fantasy baseball player, Oh, you know, fantasy baseball owners mind, like with injury, what are some of the most frustrating things like that they feel they don't get or understand? Like when you're reading that report, what makes you scratch your head? That's really what, cause now that I'm on the other side of it and I was once a fantasy baseball owner, I really think it's like tough for me to, to tune that back. I'm really curious, like where people are like frustrated, confused, you know, wish that they had more insight. Yeah. I think it's an un, almost an unanswerable question. I hate to put that label on it. I'm sh There's always an answer for everything, and I'm never one to give up. <laughs> let me tell you that. But we want answers now, and sometimes you don't get answers now. You've already described that with injuries. Timetables are given, but they're not necessarily guarantees. We mentioned Zach Gallon. He came back way sooner. But then other players come back way You know, uh, Thor, Syndergaard, like you said, we were expecting him to be a big second-half contributor because there's two guys, Chris Sale and Noah Syndergaard, are the two biggest guys I can think of right now. And actually, Luis Severino, I'll throw him in too because mm -hmm. he started his rehab uh, yesterday. He threw his first outing at single-A Tampa. So yep. those three, Severino, Sale, and Thor, were supposed to be second-half contributors this year because they were coming back from TJ, but we figured the timeline would work out where, uh, you know, Sale might come back a little bit later, Syndergaard a little bit sooner, and this is all based on previous information, though. And I think this is one of the big frustrating parts for fantasy owners is to is to know the unknowable. Unless you can, well, here, <laughs> you can't predict this shit. I well, I have some for you. So early on, when there's no ball or bat in the hands, it's very difficult. But here's the beautiful thing: in baseball, because of the minor leagues and how we are obsessed with it in this it, it, here, they are documenting whenever like. The cameras are out when Carlos Martinez was throwing with me again. So the things that could be very, uh, very good to know are things like the public information. So for instance, with Severino, he, he threw 34 pitches, I think in low a, right? So that tells me quite a bit actually. So if he had a surgery, I'm looking February, 2020. All right. And now he's throwing 34 pitches, low a Tampa. He's hitting velocity at 98. Well, that's a really encouraging sign. So now what you want to look at as a fantasy owner is how does he bounce back to that next outing and what what's the change? Does he go from, uh, you know, he was at 34. Does he go to, usually we'd increase by 15 or an inning. So does he repeat that? Does he go up? And then if you're seeing that positive trajectory, well, then there's no reason to think that, you know, at, at that rate, by the end of this year, he's going to contribute, you know, by I would, I wouldn't think that should be an issue. Um, that's true. You, know, you look at Chris sale, right? I, I, he's, he threw a 20 pitch bullpen, I think. Now yeah. He's joining the team. This is supposed to be a new lead, right? Hey, he's going to be hanging out with the team on the regular now, even on road trips. So right. Good so sign. 
What that means is what they're saying there is he's now transitioned from the rehab group or back home doing his own rehab to now working with the the on-staff medical uh, people, the on-site medical staff, and, and maybe working with the pitching coaches there, things of that nature. That's a little early to usually be hearing about something like that. I, if I'm not mistaken, he threw a bullpen. That's early. A 20-pitch bullpen is about the f- almost like the first phase of of uh, bullpen throwing after Tommy John. So he's got a ways to go. He's got a long ways to go. That doesn't mean, you know, anything in particular. I mean, you know, maybe they went slow on purpose. Who knows? What do, what do teams want to see from a guy recovering from TJ before they send them out on a rehab? Is there like three things like, Hey, we got to see a, B and C before we're going to send you out on your first rehab son. You know, if somebody gets paid uh, a substantial amount of money to, to be down there and have that, as their work. So unfortunately it's not three things. It's a lot of things. Um, some of the things that we like to see, of course, we like to see that progressive increase in load to the point where they can meet whatever their demand is with that sport. So at the end of the day, if there's really one thing, it's really that one thing. So if you gave me the ball, pl- the starting pitcher that needs to be sent back up to the the Tigers and he needs to be able to throw five to seven innings, if he needs to throw a minimum of 60 to 70 pitches, well, what do I want to see? I simply want to see him do that in a controlled environment at a a near normal intensity. And I probably want to see him repeat that step more than one time. So once I see that and he's able to repeat that, I see a nice pattern and we're going to test him. We're probably going to give him a chance to throw some some innings up in the big leagues. Um, But to get to those points, the way I like to describe it is it's like if a you know, use a financial thing here. It's like a, an investment bank is buying and selling assets. Mm. Phys, you know, re- physical rehab is pushing and slowing down. So it's a very progressive process of, you know, how that recovery is going and how much to push them. There's no three, you know, like for instance, full range of motion or, you know, full rotator cuff strength. We have so many things we look at. I mean, we use GPSs to track their 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 motion and their load. I mean, we have everything under the sun. But the biggest thing that we look for is how they tolerate that load. Of course, we can ask them, hey, how did you feel? Well, if you know a ball player, chances are if they want to play, they're going to say, I'm good, right? So we just want to see them repeat those steps and, and have a subjective look to them that looks like they're they're able to tolerate it, that they're not showing us any crazy negative signs. I encourage, what I really encourage fantasy baseball owners, watch those outings, watch them play catch. You know what you can tell? If Syndergaard's out there smiling and, you know, you can't run from that. Your emotions show themselves. Get yourself into the habit of seeing the video. And if you're really crazy, go down there. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that, but like, you know, the, the only way to really know is to see what their faces are looking like. Their arm action is looking like, that's what I did. I would catch the bullpens, broke my thumb almost once or twice. <laughs> Holy cow. You caught bullpens. Good Lord. That sounds intense. I caught uh you know who I caught a Jeremy Hefner bullpen. Jeremy Hefner is now the pitching coach of the Mets. Dear homie Hefner. All right, I don't know who Jeremy Hefner is, but now I know. Jeremy, a, shout out to you. Hey, another shout out coming your way. Look at that. He's a pitching coach for the Mets now. He he uh, he was with the Mets. He had a few injuries then with the Cards, but yeah, I would get behind the dish, and I was never a catcher growing up. But let me tell you something: you get a different appreciation for what they're doing, especially Dude, the, heavy, <laughs> the heavy sinkers. Oh, really? Oh, those are killers. Yeah, I mean that's why they all wear thumb guards. I mean it's. It's a tough pitch because you don't know exactly when that ball is going to drop. You don't know if it's going to tail more than drop. And uh, they're heavy. 
they're heavy the spin all that stuff so it it's uh it's tough so it's to, hard uh, to it's hard to keep it in that frame when it drops down there yeah you know a, a curveball that doesn't break i mean that might just pop you in the in the face mask, but, uh, yeah. but you know, the sinker that's coming in low nineties. Oh, I've had some bad experiences with that. Well, we had a few people here with more questions. You asked, what are these questions fantasy owners want to know is we're live with Dr. David A. Meyer at injured to elite on Twitter. And of course he's got his own podcast injured to elite. He's got a lot of stuff in the hopper. Make sure you check out his work. He knows what he's talking about. And I'm verifying that because I got to know him already. And I'm digging <laughs> this conversation. We're live. This is presented by rotofanatic.com, of course. Precautionary versus an actual injury. That's a topic he's throwing out. Very good question, and it's something that there's a lot of, I'm putting quotations up, phantom, you know, the phantom Mm -hmm. DL, I think. I don't know. Do they still even like, is it known as the phantom? No, it's just like the restricted list, right? I mean, there's a lot of that, okay? There's a lot of that. I'm going to just come out and say, what you believe to probably be happening in a lot of these situations is absolutely what's going on. There's a lot of stuff I didn't even, I wasn't privy to and really understand maybe on the player side with their agents and how they were managing that uh, on the team side. Hell yes. I mean, like I was saying earlier, teams slow players down more than they speed them up. These are expensive assets. It's not like people think it's like this 300 gladiator movie. Like they're just, you know, Spartan. No, they're, they're <laughs> totally cautious with these players, like beyond belief. So I feel, pretty, I feel pretty confident in that. I mean, at least that's my take. These are, yeah. these are assets. They don't even, I'm not saying they don't look at them as humans, but a lot of times they don't always do that as far as they from don't. the owners and teams perspective. No, no, they're, they're super. So Brian, you know, a lot, a lot of them are cautionary injuries. It's just like, you just look, you can try and figure it out and sports talk radio and the Enrico Palazzo podcast might fill those (laughs) gaps in for you. But as far as I'm concerned, those are, those are tough ones to really, to really figure out that those can be confusing, really confusing because it's rampant. It's intelligence. It's a misinformation war. It's disinformation. It's, Hey, what's real? What's, it's it's just a shadow game. It really is. Especially and that's what's going on. What I've seen, you know, well, of course we could say like the trade deadline around that time. Um, a lot of times with a player, whenever whenever it's related to an upcoming contract or anything going on there, things get weird. And I, you know, I have the phrase: if it looks like crap, it smells like crap. It's probably like it's probably crap. So like when you have those confounding factors alongside an injury, that's when you know you know what's going on, but you don't want to mess with that. You probably want to respect that and just let that do its thing. Cause who knows, who knows what'll happen there. This next question goes along to the line of thinking I was getting to, cause the Dodgers have already been called out for blatant exploitation of the IL. And they oh. actually, they really kind of pioneered it according to a lot of people with uh, their pitchings, yeah. saving yeah. pitchers, saving them for the playoffs, players that aren't really injured, players who could be theoretically injured, but we don't really know for sure. We'll never be able to prove it. There's never You're been not, a hey, challenge to this. It's. I don't think there ever will. I don't think it's. Uh, there's going to be a way to tell a player not to complain, hey, you can't say something hurts, and then what are you going to do? Take an MRI and show that <laughs> they have damage. Like I said, all these players have something. It hurts to pitch, right. by the way. Uh, but, you know, this is oh, a good How often is that the, well, How often is that the case, you think? It hurts to pitch for certain players, like because they are just living with pain. 
I think a good amount of the older players are just simply feeling it the next day and during like it hurts like wow. straight up. Like I remember Randy Choate, you know, Randy Choate yeah. was with the cards when I was just coming in. I mean, he was in his late thirties. I mean, he had weird funky arm action drop down. Like I'm looking at, I know it's not feeling great. Like even Wayno, Wayno doesn't throw a lot. People don't, you know, that Wayno barely will throw before he goes on a, on a mound sometimes, uh, you know, he'll, he'll throw a little bullpen before our side, but some of these players, you know, that have been through a lot of years, they protect their bullets. So to, to answer that, I think a lot of players hurt to some degree after, I think it's actually really rare when you have like the DeGroms, the, uh, the Kershaw's the, uh, you know, back. I remember like, um, whoever, I mean, you take any of these aces, like when that stuff is flowing, like I'm always like, ah, not Verlander though. He had perfect mechanics. Ver- Verlander went through went through some, you know. Whenever I'm looking at these players go on their hot runs, I'm always like, okay, pain's coming, <laughs> you know. So it's wow. it's. I hate to say it, but then you take a player that has a, you know, um, you know, like a Greg Maddox type of player. It's a different it's a different circumstance, but that time is a little bit uh, passe, right? So we have a like lot a of Max these- Freed. Maybe doesn't seem to throw as hard, but he's a really good locator. And yeah, he's a good we, pitcher. You know, yeah and you know what the crazy thing this year you're seeing you're seeing the movement with the velocity i mean i i growing up i'm 35 unbelievable what you see these pitchers do now yeah so now they're they're hitting both sides of it which to me is insane who knows uh, some of these two seamers man that just slide right corbin burns cutter is insane corbin burns is fantastic i I'm such an idiot. I didn't keep him, but hey, that's not about me. It's not about me. So what we were covering here, for those of you that didn't realize it, Ryan was asking one thing that has popped up recently is the guy finishes with a good start, 85 to 100 pitches, then hits the 10-day IL after the start with maybe shoulder soreness, but it didn't seem to really affect his outing. His velocity wasn't really down, or there wasn't a noticeable issue to focus on. So that's kind of what we're talking about here with these pitchers who are in pain. They do pitch, and they tough it out but they could be in pain even if they don't really re- like they can give it their all, but they can still be in pain is what you said there. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you have that amazing outing where you, you go deep into a game and you're throwing hard and you're very effective, there are times where the, you know, adrenaline's pumping, the player feels fine. And that's sometimes the onset of an injury, or sometimes it's the, the onset of just genuine, just inflammation, which happens in the body. And Maybe it's not even mismanaged, but maybe that grows or snowballs a little bit and it's not respected. So I think now more than ever before, you're going to see more of what, what Brian, that was Brian, right? Just said, uh, or Ryan, because now we have a lot more ability to test and all these sports science things where we're able to kind of stay ahead of a few things. So we're able to be a little bit smarter with those things, or maybe it was simply a little bit of a manipulation thing where maybe it was just fatigue and maybe there were some things that were a little concerning and they were going slow. So, you know, I think that's where you just don't know. Fair enough. Always honest and a straight shooter is Dr. David A. Meyer. This guy doesn't play around. He gives you the facts to the best of his ability. And if he doesn't know, I believe he would tell me that because you're a straight shooter, right? Hey, just tell him like it is. Yeah, I got to get to this because Mr. Derek Rhodes, who is a... Excellent fantasy analyst in his own right. Shout out to Derek. He's been covering injuries like a madman. Like detailed spreadsheets. This guy's a real nerd. I mean, Derek, I love you. You're a nerd. That's cool. You know, wear it on your sleeve and go to town. He's a 
he's the kind of guy that works with numbers for a living. He loves doing this stuff. And he his information is showing that IL numbers are way up compared to 2019. For example, on yesterday, 2019 to yesterday, in the same days, IL up 32% yesterday compared to the same date, June 6th in 2019. Uh, do you think that is some, that's actionable information that we could work with or... Is that still not a big enough sample size? Or are things just random and sometimes people get injured more this year? Because it's just without a doubt, it, the numbers are showing it. It seems like well, more of Derek's information showing more leg strain, uh, IL stints too, a lot of lower body injuries more than usual as well. Well, first of all, um, I would love to see the work because I'm very impressed. Uh, let me tell you something. <laughs> I was a fantasy uh, baseball owner. I was not uh, making those detailed spreadsheets. but that So that's super impressive hats off to you. The thing that first creeps up to me, are you looking and comparing the numbers from 2019 to 2021? Or are you comparing numbers from let's say 2010 to 2019 average or the mean and compare it to 2021? Now, maybe we could talk again, you have to be very, I'm sure maybe there's a little bit more to it, but I would say Definitely get the average over a number of years first and then compare it. So then at first, at least you say, okay, well now we can, you know, get a little more specific. So it's very tough. You don't have all the facts. A lot of it is public information um, that they share in terms of the injured uh, list. And there's even a spreadsheet of the surgeons that players get their Tommy John from. So there is a good amount of public info, but I'd be careful with how you're extrapolating that data. I mean, it's very reasonable to, to think that it would be a funky year for injuries, being that last year was not a full season, that there was a lot of start-stop, that the minor leagues were shaken up. I, I have no doubt in my mind that there has been an impact from what we've gone through, especially the mental side of, of how it's affected players. So I, I think anybody that says it does it hasn't affected injuries would be out of their mind. Well, here's an example. We can see this on the live stream. So hopefully you can see this clearly. These are injury return time. So these are days. And there's contusions, fracture slash breaks, inflammation, soreness, sprain, strain. And it's the last three seasons, full seasons, not 2020. So 18, 19, and this year so far. And I think this is I think this is actionable information in the fact that it's comparing these seasons and it's breaking down specific types of injuries, which are labeled by the teams, of course. He's going by that. He also makes a point to say, to this point in the season, it does not appear that IL stints are shorter this year. This doesn't mean that teams aren't using it as a load management tool, but it does cast some wide doubt that it's, or it does cast some doubt that it's widespread. So, just tell me real quick, we're looking at days after the injury of a return? Is that, is that we're what We're looking, yeah, the number of days it takes to come back from an injury based on each yeah, I mean, one it's, of these. It's interesting. I mean, they're showing a fracture break 23 days uh, back after the initial onset, 24 days, uh, a strain. Now, you got to remember something. Uh, you have to also stratify. Now, you talk about the world of data. So if you're looking at these different types of injury patterns, you have to stratify how common certain ones are compared to the other ones. You know, mm -hmm. is there like, is there only two fractures and a hundred strains, right? So looking at data, I don't claim to be, I'm not a researcher. I don't really particularly like research. Um, <laughs> data science to me, it doesn't do it for me. So like, all I know is I know enough uh, I know enough that I don't know about statistics to stay away okay. from it. So like for me, 
you know, I, I'd be very careful. I really would be very careful for anybody to make any big generalizations off of this alone. But what I would say to the person that is is doing this work, take it further and start breaking it down more. Start to paint a better picture. If you can start painting that picture to me of like, you know, for instance, what the end number is, meaning how many players were in each of these categories, uh, you know, and um, maybe even like, what's the minimum? What is a return? Does it mean I, I, now here's another thing. Okay, I had a fracture. I pinch hit one at bat. Does that count? Or did I play a full game? See, like I have more questions than anything else when it comes to data, but I'm impressed by the work that was done. I think that's amazing, but we have to take it further. We have to realize that there's a lot of limitations in the world of data. Well, he mentions here on the right, uh, parameters for this data only includes players placed on the IL after opening day and who have returned by this point in each season. So there you go. That's That changes things. That minimizes the sample size. And then there's a minimum of five occurrences in each season. You have to have at least five for it to count, I suppose. I'll have to ask Derek about that. Lastly, only includes injury types with multiple seasons having large enough samples. So, so it's, there you go. It sounds impressive. I mean, I just, again, I would want to see like a little abstract of, of the data and, and, and the background of it. And, you know, I think the more you provide somebody like myself with, with some of the, uh, the background on, on stuff like that, then we can start to, to figure out trends and patterns. But listen, there, it seems to me like that data is showing that there was a decrease in time back to, it seemed to me, right. There was a decrease in time back to, to the sport after in some of them. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. It looked like the, there was some variance, but yes, it, I just think it's somebody who's shining a light on it, which will allow, like you just said, for us to go deeper. And maybe somebody, it could be Derek himself, who capitalizes and goes even further and well, breaks now it down you, more to detail. But what you now have to do is you now have to take that data. If you want to make, don't try and explain things based off of that. But what you can do is you take that data and now you look at fantasy baseball and now you run the data and the statistics of Every time somebody was cited for shoulder inflammation, this is the bottom line effect it has on, uh, you know, total innings pitched because you can do that. So my advice is don't try and figure things out that you don't, you can't in terms of, you know, limitations of what you have access to. Just use what you have available, but you make it clinically pertinent or professionally pertinent to what you need to know. I want to know how many innings this pitcher is going to give me. Well, now just run some stats on shoulder inflammation, every case from 2015 to 2020, and then see overall how that affects innings pitched. Because there's a lot of issues doing that in the baseball world because you know they're all doing their own thing. We don't know what the heck they're collecting. You know Whether they're the Astros, the Cardinals, the Mets, they have their own data science team. But they're not, they're not sharing that with you or I, right? And sometimes so, they try to infiltrate other teams' data science teams. Hey, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Oh, but, boy. So anyway. I think that's uh, that's going to be cool to see when when what's his name who who's the one doing that Derek Rhodes Derek Derek Rhodes, Rhodes. I think it's going to be really cool to see if Derek Rhodes can figure out fantasy production based off of IL uh, you know type of, that's going to be super powerful for all of you he's a player and he plays everywhere I'm in leagues with him so I know he wants this to go that route so that's a great point you're David's on top of it he really is I thought it was a cool concept because he works really hard on this stuff and i just want to get your take so this is great and we'll continue to look at things like this down the road uh we do have a question about old man rich hill he's 40 41 now i think and yeah. he's still getting the job done in fact he's looking fantastic in may he was uh, almost oh really 
Yeah, Sheriff. Yeah, he's with the he's with Tampa now, right? That's right. And he's also I'm went to the University of Michigan. He's a Michigan man, so it's always fun to see a Michigan player How still get the job he? done. Where is he? How old is he now? I believe he's 41 because he definitely started the season at 40, but he might have turned 41 during the season. And what's but his uh, repertoire in, in velo these days? What are we looking at? <laughs> oh, seriously. He's still throwing that same curveball. Uh, he's just relying on that curveball over and over again. I don't, I'll have to check his fastball velo, but he is 41 now. He turned 41 in March right what, before the season started. What's he throwing a lot of, though? I, well, I'm curious. Like, how percentage fastballs, curveballs, what do we got? He definitely... As I look it up, I don't even have to look it up. I know he relies on that curveball because he relies on it more than almost anybody in baseball because that's he's so damn impressive. good. impressive. Okay, so that's impressive to me that he's throwing a high percentage of a breaking ball like that. I mean, I don't know is what kind of He's always been an outlier, though. That's always been his thing. He's, I mean, he, he was so good, and he decided to throw it more and more, and people, they fell for it because it was so damn good. But he also had a lot of blister issues through his career, which has made him – a pitcher that has been tough to own because he constantly gets hurt with these little things like blisters, which keeps him on the IL. And you also see I, like that Darwinistic thing that happens with like a, a Wayne Wright or a Albert Pujols, like these players that <clears throat> the outliers, it's like they're the freaks, right? Those, we can't understand that. Like mm-hmm. how does, how does Jamie Moyer do you, any of these players do that? Yeah. They're sifted through every single baseball god layer to that point where any <laughs> any of the rules can apply. So it's like, you know that that was probably the coolest thing. I like Zach Duke. You ever watch Zach oh, Duke? Yeah, I remember Zach Duke. He had okay. I was helping him rehab. He had three arm angles. Yeah, f- fastball. He probably has a solid fastball still. By too, the way, he uh, technically throws more fastballs forty six percent of the time, but the curveball's thirty nine, so it's very close. But I That's bet his... you that he's locating his fastball a lot if he's if he's got. It reaches about ninety still, so that's even <laughs> more than I thought amazing. he had in the tank. Incredible, it's amazing. But uh, Zach Duke, boom, boom, boom. So he would, <laughs> I'd be, I'd have a catch with him, and he'd let me know. All right, we're gonna come, you know, sinker up top, sinker low, and you know, it's incredible when certain players figure it out how durable they are how resilient they are but it's those wild cards of you don't know them from a hole in the wall you know Syndergaard right like we're still trying to see what's what's possible right you know you you just don't know um I think DeGrom watching him like he's shown enough years at this point where he's bounced back from injury things of that nature but like yeah. the, the players that are hot and upcoming I'm always like, yeah, hey, let's let's see what he let's see another year or two. What really? I don't care about the sexy part. Like, let's see what manifests in the season two or more. Um, anyway, I don't know what this means. Uh, Dick Mountain, thank you, oh, Brian. Is that like cool. a nickname we're not aware of for Rich Hill or Zach Duke? Even I don't know, but you can enlighten us. Thank you, Brian. And <laughs> so, Rich Hill, if how long will a team take a pitcher to the end? Like, if a guy can be serviceable is it really just about production like they don't care how if he throws nothing but if he produces they're gonna use him is it that simple let me ask you a question when you have your fantasy team and you need something how (laughs) are you willing to pretty much take you know whatever is out there just to get you what you need i mean most most fantasy owners will have one or two players like that right that they're willing to just kind of get something out of so the team is no different the team has a budget and and they're willing to play around with certain things i mean we all hear the you know whether it's having a player go two ways or whether it's having a player um you know serve two roles in the pen like they're always looking for that deal and i'm Mm. pretty sure rich hill could be a hey 
maybe. Why not? <laughs> uh, I want to ask a couple more things, and then we'll wrap it up here on the Hey, it's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Presented by rotofanatic.com. I'm at MJ Govier. G-O-V is in Vic D-O-V is in Victor. I-E-R on Twitter. He's Dr. David A. Meyer at Injured to Elite on Twitter. Injured to Elite. I don't know if you can comment on this, and we mm-hmm. can skip it if it doesn't if you don't really sure. have anything to add. Sure. But the current issue with the you know bug juice and all the sunscreen and all the things that pitchers are using, this has been happening over the last several years. I feel pretty confident in saying that, but I does it really, is it really that big of a deal? Because I think hitters are cool with it. From what we hear, hitters want pitchers to have better control. They don't want them to dominate the game to an extent where there's no fun had anymore, but there's a balance that needs to occur here. I don't, listen, I can only tell you what I know, and I'll stick to that. I don't know how hitters feel about it, but I can tell you this. It, it's been a big part of the game for a long time. It's one of those things that comes out, I think, through the uh, through the media. It seems like, it would make sense that maybe this year they're doing some funky things. I don't know. I mean, it well, it happened. Like, I mean, Giovanni Gallegos got called out of your cards, your former team, about ten days ago, two weeks ago, and Mike Shield went off. The manager said, "This is bullshit. Everybody's doing this. Why is yes. my guy getting singled out?" Shieldsy is right. Shieldsy is yeah. right. It's been happening. Right. It's been happening for years. I don't know if it's two, three years. I think it's probably longer than that. But you know, maybe this year it, it got out of control. I'm sure it did. Um, I don't know. How do I feel about it? Like, I'll tell you something. Baseball is a lot. It's fun to watch when pitching is good. It's also not fun to watch when the ball doesn't go far. I mean, that's not fun. So you need to find the balance of the long ball. Like, you know, I saw Albert Pujols hit one of his old fashioned type of home runs a few nights ago. Like there's something special about that. And we're not seeing that as much as we used to. We're seeing a lot, you know, we're seeing really great athletes, but I love seeing that, you know, whether it's a trout or a, whoever it is, I love seeing that, you know, forget about it, you know, home run that just like is impressive. You know, you're not seeing that as much, I don't think. And the ball is doing some crazy stuff. So they got to find that balance of, uh, you know, of what's too much. But uh, I think they're always going to find some way, right? Always going to find something to whether it's steroids or, or juicing the, you know, the ball or doing something. Stealing signs. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's always it's part gonna, of the game. It is. It is. I'm not, I'm not naive about it. In fact, I'm a cynic in some respects. I still keep it real in other areas, but I know the truth. I'm not, I have lived this life long enough to know when there's big money at stake, people will go to great lengths to do what they got to do to stay at least productive and hopefully better than that, but at least in the game. And so I hope people realize, like, look, they can't t- test for HGH, but doesn't mean that HGH is not rampant in the game. Like, <laughs> I just, I just want people to get like, there's, there's, listen. If you think if you're still in a fairy tale with the game, then just get over that. Like, <laughs> move forward. Yeah, this is not the show for you. We definitely speak to the truth here. That's why David's my kind of guy. Now, the one yeah. thing I want to close out on here is the mental health aspect of the game. Now, yeah. I had had a question about teams and are they meeting or are they even concerned i mean every team could be different i guess so it's it's hard for you to say every team's doing yeah. this but in general to the best of your knowledge are teams aware of how important mental health is for players do they provide services or are players getting it through their own means yeah i think it's all the above i think teams for the most part are all kind of on the bandwagon of hiring mental performance coaches alliances with sports psychologists 
I'll tell you something. When I was with the Cardinals my first year in 2015, there was, and not to the fault of the Cardinals, it wasn't just them, all organizations. Mm. I mean, there really weren't a ton of mental performance coaches and mental skills coaches out there working at, at scale with every team. I mean, it's, let's be honest, it's recent. Um, I being, eh, well, I'll just come out with it. I mean, do I think that they genuinely are caring about these, these ball players as a human being? Listen, that's not, I don't even know. I don't even know if they think that's their job. I think at the end of the day, they want to make sure that the player, that they're following the rules to them as much as they, 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 they're supposed to be. And they're providing a safe environment, quote unquote, for a ball player. Besides that, I don't know. I think that, and I, honestly, I think it's the player's responsibility. It's your responsibility hmm. as a ball player. You need your team. Not to say you shouldn't trust the team you're working with, but like, if you're waiting for the team you're with to provide you what you need, then you're going to be relying on others for your own success. You have to be take the initiative at a young age, collegiate, high school, where you have somebody that can help you on the mental side, even if it's a little, whatever, a little breathing strategy, getting in the box. Like I think I'm seeing that. I don't know if you need if you've seen this, but. I'm watching some of these ballplayers walk into the box and I can tell, I'm like, ah, oh, all right. They got a mental skills coach that gave him a little something. Cause it used to be what, like everybody was there, you know, you'd have the Nomar, the gloves, but a quick little breath. But now like I see sometimes a player goes like this and like a little, like a strange breath to me, like, oh, wow, he looks calm and they're getting in there. So I know like that mental, a purposeful kind yeah, of intentional. Reason. Yeah. I, I think that they're doing a good job with that. I encourage teams to go a little more deeper than that and like understand that these players are going through a freaking identity crisis when they're hurt. And look, yeah, they're, they're these, these alpha athletes, but chewing tobacco, doing whatever drugs or weed even whatever it is what's allowed and not allowed drinking all these things buying certain objects and i'm not this is not a fashion statement this is simply just saying like covering behind material objects anybody with money i think we're we're susceptible to that but the bottom line is we got to lean into this like there's a freaking responsibility if you're giving your life to me I'm going to, at the very least, have the conversation with you. Let's put the, you know, the ball aside for a second and be like, how's everything going? Just have someone, just do me a favor, please. Every, you know, all 30 teams, please just like give at least one F about that. Just one, just one. Because at the end of the day, then when little Jimmy and, you know, and, and little Sarah and whoever is watching that ball player out there that aspires to be like that, you know that you're representing that fan well. Mm. Because that fan wants to be that person. Support the fans by supporting these players. Whether or not you agree with the player or even like the player. People look up to these people. They need to be better because they are idols. I'll get off. <laughs> no, that's eloquently stated. Very powerful. I'm impressed by that. I think of a guy right now like Keston Hura of the Milwaukee Brewers. Struggling to such an extent. You mentioned some other examples where mental health is very important. Injuries, dealing with an injury. But when you're so, so down in the dumps, the ultimate slump, you get sent down, and then you do better in the minors, then you come back up and you still can't hit the ball at all. That's terrifyingly okay. painful. 
I just want to make sure people understand this. So when play, when player X is sent down to Arizona or Florida, they're sent down there. Okay. They're isolated. It's hot. They're in a hotel every single day, pretty much doing the same thing. Then climbing back through this minor league system, sometimes for two months, sometimes for an entire season. Sometimes they have to do it again the next year. Listen, Okay, I don't care how much money they make or not make, especially the 40-man players, the journeymen, all that. It is a grind. It is a crazy grind. And I've had players from all walks of life, some players that were on the spectrum of super depressed, suicidal, like bad stuff, and it affects them. It affects them. And, you know, in the immediate side of it, like, I don't know if there's always something that you can't cure it because, hey, look, if the kitchen's hot, right? Like, it's supposed to be hot. Like, it's not supposed to be easy for these players. But, hmm. but like, you know, I think even a Navy SEAL, if you had a conversation with a legit Navy SEAL, right? I think they'd probably at some moment in time be like, yo, <laughs> let me tell you what it's like. They, they have to be in touch with it. If they're not, how are they going to go on every mission like that? So I just think that we got to change a little bit of that culture around them being, anyway, Zach Granke. Yeah, Brian says, shout out to Zach Granke. What a success story. Yeah, remember he had to walk away for a while, major depression, anxiety yes. issues. And I, he figured want, it out. So he, I assume he had help. He had to have had help because he, you don't just get over that. Let me, let me finish up with just this thought because I share this on my podcast, Injured to Elite. So Naomi Osaka, she steps out. All, all, all opinions aside, let's put that aside. Naomi Osaka steps out from French Open, cites the depression for uh, the reason why she didn't do the press conference, then steps out, whatever. And um, I, I was She's an elite about, player. She's one of the best players in the world, by the way. She beat Serena Williams. Okay. Yeah. She beat Serena Williams a few months ago before that. Unbelievable, uh, you know, young woman. And so you think about what's happened in baseball, the mental health reckoning. Right now, Sheriff, my buddy, just made it back up to the the Rays and he's pitching again. And, uh, there was a lot of conversation between me and Ryan and, um, you know, I have a lot of love for him. I have seen him come up. I rehabbed him before he made it to the big leagues. Like he's my boy. And, um, there was an article posted that Ryan was interviewed. I forget who it was called the mental health reckoning in baseball. And the, I, I went deeper. Cause I was like, when's the last time an article? Cause apparently a few players other than Ryan were just, you know, going on the, uh, restricted list for, for other reasons, what have you. It's all public info. A few, so I looked, I wanted to know, when was the last time this happened? So if you look it up, there was an article in 2011. I believe it's, there you go. There's Sheriff. Not, yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> so proud of him coming back again. But um, Hung Chi Kuo, I think in 20, I forget exactly when it was. He had a little time. He took some time off or whatever it was. The article, the previous article that was like this one was back in 2011 and it cites, okay, this is interesting. Before, I think it was like 2000, early 2000s. I don't remember the date off the top of the hand, my hand. But between like 30, 50, 60 years in baseball, there were no mental health related reasons for going on the IL until, you know, that rash of, of ball players. Okay. So that wasn't allowed, but the thing is like, you don't think that it was manifesting. You don't think that they were driving their car crazy, chewing too much tobacco, drinking too much beer, doing too many other drugs, domestic abuse. Like you don't think something gives, 
So again, like fairy tale aside, because I love baseball just like all of your, I, I love it just as much as Ryan, Brian, all your people, you, Michael, I don't follow it as much, but I love the damn game. But I'm honest about it. And I, and I can sit here and say, alpha is all hell. I love the long ball. I love having a catch. I'll get behind the dish. Like, you know, I'm gritty with this game. But at the same time, I can sit here and have a conversation and say, yeah, the player's going through an identity crisis. He's not soft because of it. He's a freaking human. And I just think, you know, like, it's like, you know, people that are, that, that, Ah, I'm not going to go off on a tangent that have any concern about somebody that doesn't uh, like the same sexual preference as them. And they, they can't be around that person. Like that's a problem for me. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you should be comfortable with yourself. If you're straight and, and you have a, a problem with somebody that's not straight, you should be comfortable. You, that's, that's a problem to me. The same thing in baseball. If you, you know, you can't see what these players are going through and, and be able to see both sides of that. Like, it's time to wake up. It's <laughs> tough being a pro ball player. It is. Now, they don't get a lot of sympathy because they make money, which is not fair, but it is the truth. You know that. That'd be my only opinion from the hey, outside. I don't feel that way, but what I know how other people think. What percentage? But yeah, but you know what? When I say pro ball player, let's not forget about those minor league ball players, those 40-man oh, yeah. ball players. That's the majority of them. Yep. That's the majority that of them. They're getting more coverage than ever, which is a really good sign. There was a thing last week, the Oakland A's minor league served like this. <laughs> there was a joke that it looked like Firefest meal because it was such a lame ass offering. It was like oh. barely a piece of <laughs> the bread with like, yeah, like this is minor league ball, but there's got to be a Dave, minimum yeah. standard. Yeah. Shout out to Dave Vonderhaar. He gives the Palm Beach Cardinals a good spread. Hey, Dave, thanks. Keep it but up, I, man. Take care yeah. of those boys. But I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make the point like, most of these ball players are not signing that contract. And even if they made it like Sheriff, right? Okay. So Sheriff, he, uh, he was a 20, I don't know, 27th rounder or something, cup of coffee. Like maybe Sheriff doesn't know what he's going to do after baseball. Right. So if he doesn't know the other, you know, job he's going to have, then you might look into your own finances and then you might realize like, oh yeah, no, my pension, or I don't know who has a pension anymore these days, but like you actually might be in a better situation than, uh, than a lot of these ball players. Hmm. These players, they said, oh, they got all the money. Yeah, we think about the tippy tippy top. You're right. That's true. We top do. 1%. Yeah, not everybody's Fernando Tatis Jr. with guaranteed. But as a fantasy base, you know, but, but as a fantasy baseball owner, what are you always looking for? You're looking for the next breakout sleeper that came out of nowhere. That's, That's them. Always, yeah. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> well, that's why I love the Rays. The Rays are a fun organization yeah. to root for because they always seem to they keep a low pro, a low payroll. You know, they, their stadium's a disaster, and they have Drop all a these. Yeah, it's, a, it's not even a baseball place, but whatever. It's that's tough. not the point. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be a depressing. But they get all of these value players. They find it. They dig. They work and they work and they work, and they give a lot of guys shots like a share for people who were not heralded at all. They, they were the ones. The movie, the rookie. That guy was a Tampa Bay yeah. pitcher. You know. So. By the way, sheriff. Uh, you know what though? Like he. Sheriff is a good pitcher. He's oh, got, yeah. I'm, no disrespect got, to him at all. No, no, no. So. I mean, he's a lefty, but between his slider and sinker, it's not too often you could have two pitches, right? He can have two pitches. 
Nice. You, you know, like when you when you can do that on the mound, that is a special thing. When you're that good at just a few things like that, that's a special thing. That's why I'm so I'm, happy to see him back there. I'll be totally truthful. I, I didn't know anything about him until uh, you started talking about him because yeah. he wasn't in the pecking order for Sage no. there with Diego Castillo and uh, the new query, J.P. Fire Eisen. So... But I'm not saying no disrespect to Sheriff. No, no, fact, no, no. Now I'm, I'm going to be following him with more, uh, more excitement. He's, you guys work together, and he's a kind of guy that you want to root for. So I'm all in on that. That's Sheriff fantastic. Almost quit like two, three times in his career. Uh, right before he made it, TJ, Tommy John, a uh, uh, bunch of other injuries. You know, grew up, uh, fought, lost his father at 21. Um, grew up in Englewood. Like he, he had some adversity. Like we all, no one's. No one's perfect. I mean, but Sheriff has faced, you know, I, I love those stories. I like knowing the story behind, like, I want to know what Mike Trout was like when he was, you know, in Jersey growing up. Like to me, I don't get, I don't care what I'm seeing on the screen other than like the, the, you know, watching in the moment. But I really like knowing the stories of these players. And I don't think we really know many of them at all. Like what's Manny yeah. Ramirez like growing up? What, what did that guy actually like? <laughs> like I want to see that fun. movie. I want to see that movie. <laughs> I want to see that movie too. I would love to see that. <laughs> wow. Man, we have covered a lot of ground today with Dr. All David right. A. Meyer. This has been fantastic. I hope that you guys got a, something out of it because I tried to cover, we together try to cover as many aspects, mental health, injuries, uh, what goes on behind the scenes here to try to give you guys a better understanding of what's going on with these players and these organizations. And I... You know, I'd be happy to make this a regular thing, man. Love to have you come back on again if you ever want to because you are somebody, you've got information and you're entertaining. And this, I think this has been a pretty damn good show, if I may so so myself. Well, Michael, but, uh, you, know. you know, what I would say is come in, you know, you come with a list of the players that have whatever they have going on. What I can tell you is what it's actually like to go through that rehab process. Like what are the actual steps? What does it look like? And we can kind of decode it. We can't, we, we can't assume what's going to happen. I could just tell you in the past experiences, what it looks like. What is Chris sale at 20? What's a 20 pitch bullpen for Chris sale look like, you know, in his TJ protocol and that kind of stuff, we can help people understand what the heck actually happens in rehab. Cause nobody, even people in baseball don't really get it. Yeah. I still think this is a, uh, a corner of the market that is not given. There are, Injury experts, you know, even on like ESPN, I think Stefania Bell. Stefania uh, Bell, yep, I've met. Yeah, Stephania like there's these people who have become they are they're doctors, you know, like you, and they talk about, hey, this is what's going on here, and that's cool. But there's still more. There's still more, especially with baseball, because even though it's not the most context sport, it has the most injuries because well, it's huge, and there's so many levels to it. I'm going to tell it to you this way: I I worked for three years with the Cardinals doing it and coordinating it. I caught the bullpens. I played college baseball, and I love the game. So, and, and the mental side for me is the X factor. So like, yes, if anybody that's out what there I mean be, too. you know what? So, you know, for me, I, I enjoy this. And I think my first love was from a, a father that was a fan, like all of you, that was, he, like I said, he was a huge fantasy baseball player. So I mean, I'm the, I'm a weirdo for some reason. I'm the, outlier. Oh, you don't play. <laughs> No, I love it. I played growing up and it was fun. My dad never really gave a shit though. So oh, I don't gotcha. know where it came from. I have no gotcha, idea. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to say is like, I think there's something very important about keeping fans, you know, educated on the game to the highest level and something that I would enjoy to, to return and talk about more. So, hey, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Hell yes, Dr. David Amar. You can follow him on Twitter at Injured2Elite. That is also the name of the podcast he does. 
And I want to highlight a special one, which I did listen to. It was freaking great. The Daniel Bard episode from last summer in August. Dave had Daniel Bard on, who was last year's NL Comeback Player of the Year. Closer for the Rockies. In fact, had a two-inning save yesterday. He looked great. He had a rough start to the year now, but it looks like he's really selling in. And I strongly recommend you listen to that episode, if not other episodes of his podcast, because that was worth the time and energy. I learned so much, and Daniel's a very forthright, honest dude now. He's got a family, and uh, it was it was inspiring, man, and that's what I want. And I get inside like access to a player who was honest for the most part about David brings out the honesty in these players, so I strongly recommend it. Definitely check out his podcast, Injured to Elite. Have anything else people should know about you, David, before we close it out? No, check me out on Instagram too, Dave M. Meyer, D-A-V-M-M-E-Y-E-R, and Injured to Elite on Twitter. And uh, got the book out there for anybody that has kids playing the game or you're playing the game yourself on injury, Injured to Elite on Amazon. Uh, it's a it's a guide to really go through the rehab process mentally and physically. So uh, yeah, that's it. I'm out there. Just Google me. As people say these days, like, oh, yeah, you're, you're very Googleable. So you are. <laughs> I guess makes it easy. I'll take that. It's from the podcast, really, <laughs> just going on shows. But thank no, you. They, no, that makes a difference. We thank you for giving us your time. Don't forget Plaza Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday with Van Lee and Nathan Dockin, former Nasty Cast brothers in arms. They're coming together. With me and I assume my partner, Deer, will be back Wednesday for that one. It's going to be a fearsome foursome Wednesday evening live, roughly around 7 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. So I'll be doing that. And then Thursday, I'll be on the Rotowire podcast with Scott Jenstead, Thursday night recording that. I don't know if it'll be live streamed or what. I think it will be. Really looking forward to that. That's one of the biggest podcasts in the fantasy game. And tomorrow, I'll be on the operating room with Kev Maserajan. So I haven't been this busy in a minute and i'm looking forward to all that so thank you to david please follow david's injured to elite great stuff plausible podcast brought to you plausible podcast on twitter facebook twitch youtube sub the youtube channel two l's two z's utah give me two the boys of summer are about to kick it off tonight it's summertime baby Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Bye-bye. Drafting in the 12th round. Drafting in the 12th round. Another top closer down. Another top closer down. I can't decide between Anderson, Yates, or Kenley Green's company, too. Right, lads. Now, I know there's not a faint heart among you, and I know you're as anxious as I am to get into close action. But we must bring him right up beside us before we spring this trap. That will test our nerve. And discipline will count just as much as courage. The Acheron is a tough nut to crack. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And they will sell their lives dearly. They mean to take us as a prize. (laughs) And we are worth more to them undamaged. Their greed will be their downfall. England is under threat of invasion. And though we be on the far side of the world, this ship is our home. This ship is England. So it's every hand to his rope or gun, quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.